0: This episode of the Reformed Informants podcast is teaming up with Chef's Cookies. Located in the North Texas area, Chef's Cookies makes vegan chocolate chip cookies from all organic ingredients and are gluten, dairy, soy, and peanut free. If you live in the Dallas Fort Worth area, Chef's Cookies will be at the Colleyville Street Market on Thursday, July 9th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., and Flower Mound Farmers Market on July 11th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. To keep up with Chef's Cookies, be sure to like and follow them on Facebook and Twitter, and check out their website at chef'scookies.com. That's C H E F S Cookies.com. we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burrows, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Uh, I think TJ is over there in the office, freestyling and improv and a little workout as we speak.
1: Gosh, I need a workout, man. I don't know if our listeners knew this. Chloe, my wife Chloe, went to uh, Texas for a little time, spent some time with family this past week so I could work on my dissertation, focusing on that. And I have worked out like twice maybe since she's been gone. Just my whole world's upside down. I don't know. I don't know how it is with you, but like when my wife's not around, like there's just instability just permeates everything in my existence. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, man. When we. You know got logged into squad and and zoom here and hit record i was just happy that you were afloat your, your head is above <laughs> water with everything that you have going on yeah, um, man. it seems like you've got something either with uh the church dissertation of course podcast is the priority every uh, time the, yeah it's the preeminent um <laughs> task at hand no uh, but your your life right now is never been more busy
1: It hasn't, but, but it's a, but it's a good busy, right? It's all good stuff. Uh, Doing work for the dissertation is hopefully going to be edifying for the church. And then of course, ministry, things like the podcast, family life, new baby on the way, like all that stuff is good stuff. So um, I'm, I'm thankful to, to be in the middle of this race that I'm in and knowing that uh, you and I've had this conversation before, like we have limits. And uh, that's part of the reason why we stepped away from the podcast for uh, that season and back in it now, but um, yeah, man, I'm not complaining. It's it's
0: a good season. Well, hopefully, this isn't the new season where you can't work out though. Mm, like, nah, I, I hope
1: not. Work. No, that's <laughs> a, that's a, that's a bad precedent. If so, um, so well,
0: um, we don't want to break tra- tradition here well, with the podcast because when we always need a recap, I always send it back to you. So um, I want you to go ahead and recap. Uh, not necessarily the entire Christ, uh, you know, Christology series, but this mini-series that we began um, just this last week, uh, this three-part mini-series in Christology.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that as I was listening this morning to last week's episode uh, that we recorded, um, how every time we need a recap... It's it's thrown at me, so I was ready for it today. Uh, but I will do the concise version. We are in the middle of a Christology series, looking at the doctrine of Christ, and in particular, within the doctrine of Christ, we have three episodes that kind of are part one, part two, part three, connected to one another. Uh, last week, uh, the episode and the emphasis was what emphasis was on the uh, the deity or the divinity of Christ. So we looked at how Jesus is fully. God And today, for this episode, we are going to to look at the humanity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is fully man. And then next week, we will look at the person of Christ, which takes these two natures, that he is both fully God, his divine nature, he is fully man, his uh, human nature, and yet together he is one person, and how those two natures uh, come together. And so that's where we are kind of in this uh, summer uh, discussion, if you will, uh, of, of our Savior. And so uh, we've looked at the divinity, and now it's time to look at the humanity.
0: Yeah, that's good. Uh, today is Monday, June 29th, and this is episode 47, Christology Part Four, uh, The Humanity of Christ. Uh, so, as we have expressed in this series thus far, we are really wanting to emphasize doing theology as we uh, develop who Christ is, um, not from personal experience or conversations that we've had or books that we have read, but solely based on Scripture and Scripture alone. Um, And in particular, these three episodes that we have going on in this mini-series, we want to develop the person of Christ. So today's episode, as we have stated, uh, will be focused on his uh, humanity. I'm going to swing it back to you, TJ, because I know you've got this Burkhoff quote loaded and ready to go.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I've i noticed that I just, I constantly refer back to Louis Berkhoff, Um And I don't know if I if I have read his systematic theology the most, but man, every time I do, I just, I, I so much enjoy it. Listen to this quote. He says, men have sometimes forgotten the human Christ in their their reverence for the divine. It is very important to maintain the reality and integrity of the humanity of Jesus by admitting his human development and human limitations. The splendor of his deity should not be stressed to the extent of obscuring his real humanity. I think that's so significant and so concise and so well said uh, that so often um, I'm very guilty of this as I read the scriptures. I'm sure that I'm guilty of this as I preach the scriptures that I want to focus on the divinity. I want to focus on the fact that Jesus is God, like that's who he is. That's that's his essence. He, he's God himself. He's the second person of the Trinity, but. What makes him distinct from the other persons of the Trinity is that he is also fully man. And to have an incomplete picture of Jesus is to overemphasize one of his natures over the other and to say that he is fully God, but forget his humanity. I think that's really important for us. And I think Burkov's quote uh, kind of nails, uh, reminds us of that. Uh, Lance, what, what would you say in your experience and, and thinking through this walking uh, through systematic theology with your students for a decade, uh, being in the church, do do we tend to overemphasize one or the other? Do we tend to forget one or the other? Do we tend to deny one or the other? What What's your experience been?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think we somewhat talked about at the beginning of our episode last week is that really the apologetic and defense um, that we are fighting and facing during our time is for the divinity of Christ. So as you had uh, just said, TJ. I think that we tend to lean towards that particular nature of Christ more, uh, just because that is probably what's being attacked the mm-hmm. most, at least during our time and and our generation. Uh, but I would say one of the you know reoccurring themes that we've had on the podcast uh, so far in season two is that we're wanting to be theologically balanced. You know, right. we're not wanting to be on one end of the spectrum and forego the other end. And I think we're trying to establish uh, that type of theology even here in this mini series by spending one episode on his deity and then one episode on his uh, humanity. We want this balance um, uh, to be appropriated towards our understanding of the person of Christ because, you know, not just because we're, you know, pro balance, but because I think there's a a New Testament uh, balance as well. Um, Yeah. And so we want to draw out as much as we can to develop uh, who this uh, Jesus Christ is found in, uh, in in the scriptures.
1: Man, I'm glad you said it that way, too. The The emphasis on balance is one of the things that I credit you for in my own walk is that you've helped me seek that balance because I'm a very extreme individual at my core. And so you've helped me kind of taper back on that. But uh, especially as we consider, you, you mentioned like we're not doing this just because, not for the sake of balance, but uh, we talked about how Jesus is the grand distinction. Christology is the grand distinction of Christianity. Um, so we emphasize this. If we get Jesus wrong, we get the Christian faith wrong. Well, for that reason, we need to be careful to understand that Jesus is not simply divine, a divine being who intermingled amongst, uh, humanity here on the earth, but he was human himself, uh, that he was fully man and not partially man, not, uh, he didn't just put on, uh, a, a human, you know, mask or whatever and float around. Like he legitimately was human. And what does that mean and why does that matter? We're going to get into some of those things, Uh, but it's important. I think it's worth, uh, it's worth having the conversation. And so I'm thankful that we're doing this. Um, Man, we've said this before. We're going to keep saying it. When we make this case, we got to go to the scriptures. uh, And I love how you, you want to always take us Old Testament first, because that's where biblical revelation, that's where we're going. So Old Testament text, man, let's make a case for the humanity of Christ. Let's start in the Old Testament. What do, you, what do you what do you see
0: yeah we want to start there and and you TJ you, you have talked about this a handful of times on the podcast and I want to bring it up before we get into the Old Testament you've talked about progressive revelation so we could propose the question well did people have an idea or an understanding of the Messiah uh, as being human you know did was that idea circulating during the time of the Old Testament well we're gonna uh, trying to articulate that, yes, you, you know, that that people did have that type of understanding. Um, but as progressive revelation unfolds, we get the full picture of it. So that's really one amongst many of the reasons why we want to go back to the Old Testament uh, and, and begin there um, to see if we can find Christ and Christ's humanity there. We did that with this deity last episode. So go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. But we'll do that for his humanity Uh, here. Now, I I think there are multiple references. Um, Of course, we're just giving somewhat of a flyover or a bird's eye view of the humanity of Christ um, from the scriptures in this episode, but you could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, the first gospel presentation, you could say. Um, We have um, uh, this uh, language, this terminology of a seed that, that would come forth from a woman, A seed that would come forth from a woman, um, in Genesis chapter three fifteen. Again, uh, laying out this idea that generations later there would be a human being um, that would uh, be sent by God into the world. Um, Now, when we see that type of language, you know, played out in the Old Testament, and I think again summarized in Galatians chapter four, verse four. TJ, any comments on that?
1: No, that's that really well said. I'm going to add one. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 18, um, verse 18. Um, this is a prophecy about a coming prophet. And God says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, speaking to Moses, from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Well, this this prophecy given to Moses was cyclically fulfilled, right, in the prophets that came. So you had uh, the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Ezekiels and the minor prophets, and these men who came, and they fulfilled uh, in the short term what what God has said to Moses, but the ultimate fulfillment came in the person of Jesus. And so in this sense, there's a, a pattern of humanity being repeated, and it's ultimately fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and it's texts like this, TJ, that our, our New Testament authors uh, draw from because the crowds at various points during the life and ministry of Jesus, they they are asking, you know, is he a prophet? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is he the prophet? So they understood Deuteronomy chapter 18 uh, as a text that would ultimately be fulfilled in a person, in, in right. a person. Uh, I think you could uh, move forward in the narrative uh, to Second Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we have a prophecy about the Davidic throne and this eternal reign uh, that would be placed on the throne of David from one of his descendants. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, once we get to the New Testament, and you've got this on the guide for our discussion on the virgin birth, uh, you can see that the New Testament writers identify jesus christ as being a descendant of david which directly Mm -hmm. fulfills second samuel chapter uh, seven
1: that's right um and and again, in the same way you had Solomon, who came as a descendant of David, who initially fulfilled some of these prophecies in the short term, but the ultimate fulfillment came in the God-man, Jesus Christ. But the again, the indication is that a man would step in and fill this role uh, as a descendant. There's there's humanity uh, a, a, taking all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, as you mentioned earlier in the quotation in Galatians 4. I think that that's, that's just implied uh, in this, and it's easy to miss, but it's it's significant. Um, we don't need to spend too much more time in the Old Testament because I want to get to the New Testament text, but in the book of Isaiah, you see uh, a couple of references that you pointed out here on the guide for us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9 speaks of a child that will be born, um, a, a familiar text there. Uh, and then, of course, Isaiah 53, uh, that great uh, passage, that prophetic passage about the crucifixion, and and uh, uh, it refers to Jesus as a man of sorrows. And so there's, again, humanity just intertwined in these prophetic predictions about the coming Messiah. And so uh, you you mentioned uh, progressive revelation with the lenses of the New Testament. Now that we have the, the the full picture of God's revelation, we can look back into the Old Testament and see with clarity that the Messiah would indeed be human offspring
0: yeah i like what you added there tj about you know having the full uh, grand scope of revelation that bring clarity on those passages because you know if you take those passages you know at the time that they were written without the rest of revelation of course which didn't exist at that point it wouldn't have been as clear mm-hmm. as we are making it out to be by the end of this episode because right. we have all of the revelation but at least there was this idea or suggestion that there would be a man,
1: right? Right. That's that's a good word, man. That's that's really good. But in God's goodness and grace, He has made the picture clear uh, yeah. through the New Testament, and so we can look back and see this now um, in the Old Testament. So we've seen some Old Testament prophecy. We've seen some Old Testament indications that the coming Messiah would be uh, human, that it would be a human being that would fulfill these. These prophecies, but uh, as we get into and consider the actual life and the humanity of Jesus, uh, the first place we have to go is to his actual birth. Um, so let's talk about the virgin birth, Lance. How if we're making a case for the humanity of Christ, does does not virgin birth does that not suggest that hey, this is not normal? This maybe isn't a human being. How, like how do we how do we respond to that?
0: Yeah, th- this this isn't normal in the sense of a virgin conception or a virgin birth. This, this is unique. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, this goes back into our initial Christology episode when we talk about Jesus Christ being the grand distinction of Christi- Christianity. This is one of those uh, nuances or minor distinctions that we see. Actually, you could argue a major distinction that we see um, from the person of Christ is that he was miraculously conceived um, in what we would call the virgin conception or uh, the virgin birth and i would argue and i think you would too tj and i know that theologians through the centuries have argued this this is a core tenet of Mm -hmm. the 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 christian faith this is an essential doctrine therefore if you deny this doctrine or you deny uh, the teaching about the virgin birth of christ you are you are walking on coals. you mm-hmm. You are uh, crawling through fire. Uh, this yeah. is not a good place to be in, in terms of uh, not believing certain portions of scripture specifically regarding to jesus,
1: yeah. and and I think that we're going to get in more to unpacking the virgin birth, hopefully, in the next episode when we discuss um how the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, uh, coexist in, in one person, and how, how does he maintain his divinity while still being human? Part of the reason for that is because of the miraculous conception that came um, from the Holy Spirit um, in in allowing him to be conceived by a woman. But even though there was a miraculous conception, Jesus was still born right he still came into this world the same way every other human being who has ever existed uh and, and so i think that there's something to be said for that that jesus didn't just fall out of the sky right into mary's arms and oh here it is here's a baby or or he didn't come into uh, uh, you know into this earth as a fully grown human being like he came as a child and he was born into this world
0: yeah man that's so good look Jesus, under the divine plan of uh, the Trinity, there was no plan for Jesus just to pop in as a 30 year old man, you know, live on the earth for two or three days without sin, and then provide a sacrifice, uh, you know, for his sheep. Uh, The idea, as I think demonstrated best probably in Hebrews chapter two and Hebrews chapter four, is that. Christ needed to live in all points as a human, and we would argue that humanity begins at conception. In order for him to truly be human, he had to be conceived, Uh, and we would argue that it was a miraculous conception, which is what we're discussing now.
1: Yeah, and and then... Despite that miraculous conception, he comes into the end of the world as a human being, but he's he's born as a child, which means that he has to be nourished. He has to be fed. He has to be, listen to this, he has to be kept alive. Like, like, think about that, man. Like, we both have young children right now. Um, Luther's, what, nine months old? Uh, nine Blakely's months, t- yeah. and he's fat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> young kids if we completely neglect them they can't survive right like they are a hundred percent dependent on their parents for survival that's who Jesus was he he was just like anyone else he had to be uh, nourished he had to be fed he had to be taken care of um as a he was fragile he was a human being and a human baby um that, that's significant
0: man that's so good and we're gonna get into more of Uh, this tension between Jesus being fully God and Jesus fully man next episode. But what we want you to see here is that the new Testament is revealing that he did experience all of humanity. He knows what it's like to be a human and, uh, just a everyday reading a cursory reading of the new Testament. You will come to that conclusion. And again, Mm -hmm. that's what we're trying to show here on this, on, on this particular episode. Um, now, to the virgin birth or to continue with the virgin birth rather Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 uh, verse 14 is actually a prophecy uh, that details that the virgin birth will take place let me me read that text um, and then we can talk about it here Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so in context here, in the early chapters of Isaiah, this prophecy is basically uh, set in motion uh, by God to prove that 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 God is who God says that He is, and that God indeed is sending a Savior to the nation. That's really one of the recurring themes uh, in in the writings of Isaiah uh, that God is. Is savior. So he's going to prove and show that by sending his son to be born of a virgin.
1: Yeah. And again, want to emphasize this, conceived miraculously, but born in the same way, right? Like he, he, she will bear a son. So when it, it, when we read the story, uh, or when we think about when Christmas time rolls around and we're just reminded of this birth of of this Uh, of the savior and jesus comes into this world like when she when she went through when mary went through that delivery in bethlehem like that was just like anybody else that was just like every other woman that delivered a child he didn't just like appear he didn't just come out like she had to deliver him uh that's what the text says and in reading that prophecy in, in isaiah 7 there is no indication in the prophecy. There is no indication in the text that would say anything other than the fact that she would bear a son. Like, there's yes, the, the conception was divine, the conception was unique, the conception was miraculous, but the delivery was not. It, it was just a regular birth. Um, and, and so Jesus comes into the world and he has brothers and sisters and he has a family tree and he has ancestors. What, like, why is that stuff significant?
0: yeah it's just to establish that he truly lived he was part of a family he was born into this world you you have on the episode guide here the genealogies in matthew chapter 1 and luke chapter 3 you've got the new testament writers that are making this point clear in genealogies and, and family trees look this is jesus's line this is where this is where he comes from in terms of humanity um Again, Matthew 1 and Luke 3 would identify that. Um, Mark chapter 6 uh, details Jesus' family, details uh, that he has brothers and that he has sisters. And again, it doesn't go on to necessarily defend that. Those events are just recorded to document the narrative. Um, It's not as if, you know, Mark sat down like, oh, I need to put together an apologetic to defend the humanity of Jesus by mentioning his four brothers and his two sisters. No, he's Mm -hmm. just. Placing that into the narrative to show that right. Jesus was part of a family, like everybody else that would have been alive at that at that time.
1: Yeah, and, and that's just that's so significant that we don't miss the reality that Jesus functioned and lived like a human being in a family as part of a lineage. Uh, you know, like when, when we read those genealogies in in Scripture, uh, you know, you get to the New Testament. You, you well Matthew's genealogy takes takes him back to Abraham to show he fulfilled that promise and Luke's uh genealogy takes him all the way back to Adam to show that he represents all of humanity and all that is significant that is not a minor boring detail that we just skip over because I don't want to read that like that that's inspired text and is significant because it shows us that Jesus especially in Lukes genealogy Jesus goes all the way back to Adam the 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 image bearer, the original image bearer of God has a line of descendants that culminates in the person of Jesus, who is the new and better Adam. There's so much depth of thought and theology that is packed into that genealogy, that that listing of names uh, that so often just gets overlooked, and it's so significant, especially when thinking about the person of who Jesus is.
0: Man, I feel like... That's a sermon waiting to happen from the vault of T.J. Doherty. It's there. Um, I I think, well, one more point that we've got here on the guide uh, that I think is at least worth thinking through is that even King Herod understood the humanity of Christ. If you go back and read the gospel accounts, of course, he's livid that, (laughs) you know, there's all this hype and uh, buzz uh, around the birth of Jesus. So he... um, Decrees that all of the infants that are two and under uh, shall be killed. Um, again, so we—that's we, uh, just another line of testimony, another line of evidence here that Jesus was born into this world.
1: Yeah, that's good, man. Um, anything else that we we want to say or talk about with the virgin birth? Anything else you want to you want to draw out before we move on?
0: Yeah, we've done this on the podcast before: biblical argument, and historical argument. Um, There's a great book called The Virgin Birth of Christ by J. Gresham Machen. Uh, He's one of those Princetonian theologians that we often quote from. Um, He actually, when Princeton uh, Theological Seminary went liberal, he actually left and started Westminster uh, Seminary. So, you know, anyways. That w- that was for free, by the way. Um, but yeah, his book is a few hundred pages on the virgin birth, and he built a biblical argument and a historical argument. but one of his larger chapters deals with early christian early Christian writings uh, dating back to the second century, um, from guys like Ignatius, Justin Martyr, the Apostles Creed, and, and a few others. Um, but the point of him doing that is, To express and show that we have documentation from Christians less than 100 years after the time of Jesus, who are clearly citing the virgin birth and not only citing the virgin birth, but they are making the claim that it is absolutely essential to the person of Jesus and Christianity, absolutely Mm -hmm. essential. Um, so I think it's worth noting that not only does the New Testament teach this, and if that was the only documentation that we had for this type of teaching, we would believe it. Right. But outside of Scripture, by early Christian apologists, we have clear documentation that the virgin birth is in fact the uh, truth of the New Testament.
1: And that's that's a, that's just a good reminder for us, just to know that this has been uh, affirmed and taught by the church for two thousand years. Um, and it's not something that we want to depart from, and that's why we hold fast to it. Um, so we've looked at Old Testament prophecies regarding his humanity, we've looked at the fact that, uh, he was though he was conceived miraculously in the virgin birth, he was born into this world as a human being. Uh, next, let's talk about um, his human weaknesses, his human limitations. Um, I don't know how much you played uh, like video games growing up, Lance, but like if I would play like a sports video game, you know how you could like create a player and he was like 99s on on the boards. Like he was like superhuman, you know, it's like faster, taller, stronger than everybody else. Like sometimes people have that mentality about Jesus, right? That he was just like some kind of superhuman being like running around, but he had limitations just like anyone else. Uh, First of all, think about his human body. So I'm just going to run through a couple of these, and, I, and I'll just cite the references. Yeah, uh, you, that's good. You can, yeah, you can look them up uh, on your own. But first of all, he grew physically. So he was first he was a baby. He became a man over the course of time, right? He increased in stature. Luke 2:52. Uh, he got tired. He would sleep. Uh, John 4:6. Of course, he, uh, he, he experiences fatigue throughout the Gospels. He got thirsty. John 19, 28, he got hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He was physically weak at the point of uh, after he'd been beaten uh, by the Roman soldiers and he, he couldn't carry his cross. So in Luke 23, 26, the soldiers forced uh, Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. He physically couldn't do it anymore. Uh, he physically died. That's significant. John 19, 34, his life left him. Uh, He resurrected, as we uh, discussed last week, uh, as part of his divinity, but he resurrected in a physical body. So post-resurrection, Luke 24, 42, the the disciples gave him fish to eat. And John 20, 27, remember Thomas saw his hands, he touched his side, so he has a physical body. Body and even his disciples, they recognized and understood. We've talked about this too in First John one one. They saw him, they touched him, they interacted with him. He had a human body, um, so he was human. What, what would you add to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, TJ just ran us through a you know a bird's eye view of what Scripture uh, says about Christ's humanity, but you, you can't you can't miss it. Is, is uh, I think what we're getting at here is that there are so many references throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that identify Jesus's humanness that, again, you would have to rip out every page of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, every page would have to go. Uh, so what we want to establish here is that the things that we experience in this life, Jesus experienced them as well, yet without sin. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the the kicker is, he did not sin in any aspect or at any point in his life hebrews chapter 4 but the reality is he did live a human life he just did it righteously where you and i couldn't
1: right which
0: plays into future episodes in this christology summer series because Mm -hmm. it becomes absolutely necessary for jesus to be human uh when we talk about uh atonement mediatorial work of christ um uh him being a priest a prophet and a king all of those Mm -hmm. things tie into the humanity and that's why we're starting here with the divinity of christ the humanity of christ and the person because there are implications that pour out of these doctrines
1: Man, that's that's bonus that's bonus material folks that's not even on the guide here that's that's gold um okay so let's let's continue talking about how the new testament portrays his humanity so we've looked at his body uh we've already talked about the fact that he had all those uh human uh limitations physically talk to me lance unpack a little bit about his mind when we say he had a human mind um i thought jesus knew everything how how do we how do we understand that his, his human mind no no pressure well, no. <laughs> No,
0: I, I I just started laughing here because I was thinking back to the Jason Bourne illustration that you gave a couple <laughs> episodes ago of Jesus just all of a sudden, you know, having awareness of his call and his divinity and you know, right things of that nature. <laughs> Anyways, I'm trying to control myself over here yeah, because I, I feel an onslaught of laughter coming if I don't uh, get um, refocused here. Re, re do, I take, in. do I
1: need to take over on the human mind? Or can you? Can no, you no. Okay.
0: I'll send it back to you. Yeah, when we're talking about the the mind of Christ, again, that's part of being human, uh, that he has a mind. Uh, I think you've got on the guide that we'll talk about him having a soul here in just a minute so you can carry over uh, mm-hmm. the discussion on the mind into the soul here in just a minute. Um, but but the scripture speaks of jesus's mind it speaks of his intelligence Uh, luke chapter 2 verse 52 tells us that he increased in wisdom Um, uh, hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that he learned obedience Um, so again the the scriptures don't shy away from this idea um, that somehow jesus only had uh the the mind of god Mm -hmm. the the scriptures make sure to show that jesus had a human mind um and that's important for us to understand he didn't have a human body with only this god mind um and then there's this tension and toggling back and forth situation going on here no the, the bible tells us that jesus he increased in wisdom and he had to learn um in in Mark chapter thirteen in the Olivet discourse, there are some things that Jesus did not know. Mm-hmm. So so we see in in Jesus's humanity here um, uh, that he he truly has a human intellect and and a human yeah. mind, and I think the scriptures make that clear.
1: Yeah, um, I just thought of Luke chapter two. Right, whenever he's um, you know you mentioned Luke two fifty two that he increased in wisdom. Well, right before that um his parents lost him right they couldn't find him they didn't know where he was well he it says that he was after 3 days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking them questions so like he's at the temple as a young boy learning he he's learning the scriptures he's learning uh the history of Israel he's learning the same way that anyone else would have Um, now this is not independent of his divinity. We're going to talk about that next week, right? How these two things go together, but we want to establish he was human.
0: Right. And, and to plug that episode that, uh, we're doing on the person of Christ talking about the divinity and the humanity. Look, there is tension in this. Mm -hmm. We understand that there is tension, um, and, we're going to give it our best shot uh, to provide an answer or a solution or um, uh, to, I guess you could say, some sort of a remedy to, to this this tension and this pull and this struggle that you've seen between the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. I think that episode, mm-hmm. by the way, is going to be two weeks from the release of this episode because I think we have something going on. Anyways, we'll talk about that at the end of the yeah, episode, right? But, it, but it's coming, but it's coming. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, okay, so we've talked about human, human body. We've talked about the fact that he has a human mind. Uh, you've also mentioned, kind of reference. let's talk about the fact that he has a human soul, uh, which is often referred to as the seat of the emotions, right? So he has, he has human emotions. Um, we, we see that he has compassion on those who are hungry, those who are ill, those who uh, are lost. Um, I love that in Matthew, uh, I actually went and looked through this, and this was really fascinating. Uh, Matthew 9.36, Matthew 14.14, Matthew 15.32, and Matthew 20.34. So those four references there um, speak about uh, Jesus having compassion. And this Greek word that refers to this emotion during all four of those verses, all four of those uh, passages I just mentioned, the Greek word there means to be moved in one's internal organs. It's like he's been stirred up from within, and it speaks of it, of the organs or the bowels, even uh, from deep inside of his human uh, his human uh, body. And and the the language there is is to say that from the innermost part of his being, he was moved with compassion. And so there's a there's an an element of of real emotion here. This is a mode of language that is not spoken of as some kind of fickle, you know, this is this is part of who he is. He's human. He has compassion on on, on people who are hungry, on people who are hurting, people who are lost.
0: Yeah, and this, again, this is how the, the New Testament portrays Christ. He has emotion. He's showing compassion. Um, we even have references in the New Testament uh, where he becomes angry. His, he, he's angry uh, when he's cleansing the temple on how his father's house uh, is being distorted and used for uh, selfish gain. Uh, if you read through uh, the gospel accounts, you'll see that his soul was troubled Hours before his crucifixion, before he was going to be arrested and beaten and scourged, and 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 the events that followed. Um, uh,
1: yeah, one one comment on that too, Lance. He he sweats blood, like like that should tell you so much about his humanity, right? Like he 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 is so he's in such anguish he's in such emotion, emotional turmoil that he has a physical reaction where he sweats and he sweats blood like that's humanity that that's that is humanity playing out in the garden of gethsemane before he goes to the cross
0: yeah and and you'll you'll see again as we had mentioned earlier on this episode you'll see the importance of his humanity come out more in the, the, the doctrines that we're going to have to unpack here in the remainder of this Christology series. Um, we, we see Jesus marveling, showing amazement. He's reacting to events in real time. He's showing pure emotion. Uh, Jesus is even weeping. Uh, he's weeping. He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem and their unbelief. He's weeping over uh, the death of, of Lazarus. TJ, as you had mentioned, Jesus is sweating blood in Gethsemane, you know, just hours before he is arrested. Again, you cannot read the New Testament and come to any other conclusion. Jesus is human. Only willful ignorance gets you beyond this point.
1: Mm, Man, that, and, and we said the exact same thing last week, right? Like if you, if you hold to, I think we quoted Burkhoff in this. If you hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture, you cannot run from the deity of Christ. It is all over the New Testament. Well, the same is true of his humanity. If you hold to the inerrancy and the infallibility and the inspiration of the text, which in building our systematic, that's where we started. So because the text is inspired, the text tells us that Jesus was human. We've seen he has a human body. He has a human mind. He has a human soul. He has human reactions, human emotions. Uh, He grows um, he was born into this world just like anyone else. The Old Testament prophesied about his uh, about his humanity that he would be uh, from the line of David. that He would be uh, from the seed of the woman. Uh, all of this points to the fact that Jesus was human. He he wasn't just some uh, he he wasn't a god who came down and interacted with his creation. No, he became part of it. He, he became human. He took on flesh. Uh, and and that really takes us to the to the last discussion, the last point of discussion about the case for his humanity, and that is that Jesus becomes flesh. Right? It says that in John chapter one that he took on flesh, that he tabernacled among us, but he doesn't ever take it off. What do I mean by that, Lance?
0: Dude, that that's man, that's real good. Uh, that's a great transition into you know one of the final points on this episode. Um, Jesus took on human flesh as we've been articulating this entire episode john 1 is a reference that you have recalled uh, multiple times in the christology series Um, jesus lives a human life 33 years he dies he's buried he resurrects he ascends according to acts chapter 1. okay so post-resurrection on into eternity post-resurrection on into eternity does jesus still have a human body now i would uh, i would say here before we defend this real quick that there are some that teach that jesus does not have a human body post resurrection uh, i i would say they are completely off base um and of course, I'm going to say that not because I know TJ thinks that he does have a human body, but because the scriptures can articulate this right. easy. Right. Uh, so I'm going to send it back to you, TJ, kick us off on this point. And well, then,
1: uh, yeah, well, you mentioned the ascension, right? Jesus in human flesh, in human form, ascends uh, in Acts chapter one. Um, and, and what's significant and what's important, and I actually spent some time uh, with my church family talking about this last week at our prayer meeting, is that. When we think about God, God is invisible right God is spirit uh, throughout the Old Testament we see God saying, you can't see me and live you can't you don't know what I look like there is no there's no image there's nothing to capture what God is and who He is and what he looks like except for, Jesus, who Colossians one tells us is the image of the invisible God, and so when you see, uh, when you see the New Testament describing post resurrection Jesus and describing his appearance or describing that they can see him, that tells you that he has been, he's he's still incarnate because if he wasn't, there would be no way to see him. There would be no way to describe what they see. So when they say that he ascends uh, into heaven, they, they describe the ascension. That is his human body. He has some kind of manifestation. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to see God. Well, in Acts chapter one, it says that he will come back in like manner in the same way that you see me ascend. So I will return. And so again, there's this reference, there's this implication here to a incarnate or a human flesh, uh resurrected body, glorified body, but still a body, still a, the same way in which we will experience that. Even even Stephen, I I love this reference you put on here in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen, the first martyr for the Christian faith, he looks up to the heavens and he sees uh the heavens open up and he sees the Son standing at the right hand of the Father. I love that little detail, by the way, because he's always sitting on the throne, but he's standing, almost like he's honoring Stephen for what he's doing. But he sees him. He sees the Son. Uh, He sees Jesus. And and Jesus in the throne room is in human form.
0: Yeah. Again, there's multiple references that... uh show us that Jesus has a human body currently and will when he returns. Revelation chapter 1 says that he will be coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Uh, That's a reference back to Daniel chapter 7. Revelation chapter 20 uh, indicates that in the millennial kingdom that Jesus has a human body. Uh, Zechariah chapter 14, when Christ returns, uh, to the earth at his second coming, it tells us that he places his feet down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Again, the the, the scriptures are crystal clear uh, on, on this argument. Jesus is is currently uh, possessing a human body, and I would add one of the implications uh, for us as believers today is that Jesus's resurrected body is really the prototype for the believer's resurrected body. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus conquers mm-hmm. death, uh, that, that that death no longer has any sting, that does not rule, but Christ reigns. But in that same chapter, uh, the beginning of chapter uh, 15, uh, Paul is advocating for the uh, resurrection of Christ and people seeing him when he appears, but then he moves on to talking about a believer's resurrected body, a mm-hmm. believer's resurrected body. Um, uh, So, again, I think the case can be made uh, that Jesus still has a body.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and and we we could talk implications. Uh, I don't want to get too off track here, but uh, even one of the great debates during the Reformation between Luther and Zwingli uh, about the Lord's Supper, uh, that question ultimately comes back to the question of, is Jesus still in his incarnate form? Because if he is then Jesus cannot be present in the same way that Luther and Catholicism would both claim during the Lord's Supper because he is physically at the right hand of the Father. Uh, That's part of what makes Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. That's part of what makes him who he is. Uh, He is distinct from the other persons of the Trinity, namely in the sense that he is incarnate. He has become flesh, and he does not ever unbecome flesh in the New Testament or beyond.
0: Man, that's good. That's good. Okay, well, there's a brief biblical argument for the humanity of Christ. Quickly here, let's look at a historical argument. And again, this is uh, a bird's-eye view from outer space um, <laughs> because we could essentially have an entire series on Christology uh, from a historical perspective. But the Apostles' Creed, uh, portions of the Apostle Creed say this, I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary.
1: Yeah, uh, there it is right there. captures the, the last two episodes that we've talked about, right? Uh, the Son of God, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, speaking of His divinity, but also who was born of the Virgin Mary, born carrying with it the implication of humanity. He came into this world just like everyone else. Uh, the Nicene Creed uh, says that He came down from heaven so there's his divinity, but he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He, he became flesh. Uh, that's the Nicene Creed. Um, Lance, what about, what about uh, some of our favorite creeds, 17th century creeds?
0: Yeah, Westminster, uh, it says, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, this is referring to Jesus, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance. In other words, Christ was conceived in the womb of a human being, the Virgin Mary of her substance, which is identifying Christ as coming from a human being.
1: Yeah, 1689 is going to borrow some of the same language, develop it a little bit more, and say the exact same thing. Say, he was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scripture. So he has divine... Uh, divine origin yet at the same time uh human roots in his seed being uh attached to the human race and that's uh so significant and and lance let's talk about some of those implications to kind of wrap up so we've been talking about the significance and why this matters and and we'll of course get more into that you you've alluded to it with the atonement you've alluded to it with the episodes on prophet priest and king and and other things of that nature but in general, why do we need to stop and notice when the New Testament speaks of Jesus as human? Why do we need to to why does that need to catch our attention?
0: Because because he's he's the new and better Adam that has ultimately fulfilled the law uh, that you and I have broken daily mm-hmm. over and over. Uh, Romans chapter five verses twelve through twenty one is a landmark text on this issue. And we'll get into this more in episodes to come, but it is critical in order for us to be righteous with God, that there is a mediator uh, in the person of Jesus Christ who is able to fulfill the law for us so we could be righteous through him.
1: Yeah. And uh, speaking of that, I'm glad you mentioned Romans 5, 12 to 21. Um Go back and listen to our episode on original sin from our harmoniology series, because that's that's really showing the need for this Savior. We've talked so much, Lance, you pointed this out from the get-go of this podcast, that you can't do systematic theology without the gospel. The gospel is, is rooted in doing systematic theology and vice versa. And so as we think about this, we are connecting back to the gospel, a need for a Savior, but not just a divine Savior, but one who has fulfilled the law. And so, uh, because he is human, he is able to, uh, we are able to have his righteousness imputed to us because it's a human, uh, accomplishment in the fulfilling, the, in the fulfilling of law.
0: Man, that's so good. I I see that pulpit getting put together right there in your office (laughs) because you almost started going there. Look, save (laughs) all of
1: that for future episodes. Okay. Oh, it's too it's too good man uh and, and of course Jesus has to say to to in order to serve as a substitute in order to to sacrifice uh himself in the place of man he has to himself be man because listen man has violated god's holy law and so man therefore must pay uh that's i i can't have the blood of sheep and goats that's Merely a a shadow that just points to what I really need. I there's no amount of blood that can be shed of of sheep and goats to cover my sin. It, it can't be done.
0: Yeah, TJ, that, that's absolutely right. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's necessary to understand why the humanity of Jesus is important. That's why in the Old Testament, those sacrifices that you mentioned of animals happened over and over and over and over. They were repeated constantly because the blood of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the world but a human being could and that's why the book of hebrews says that jesus died and paid for sins once there was one sacrificial death
1: yeah and that's that's gold. Um, you've already hinted at this. We mentioned it last week, First Timothy two five, that Jesus must be truly and fully man in order to serve as the mediator between God and man. So there's one mediator between God and man and that is the God man Jesus Christ. So fully God, fully man, therefore able to mediate and to serve uh, as the bridge between us. And God. And one other um one other point to, to think about here is that because Jesus was fully man, we see that he represents as the image of the invisible God, we see that God is not totally transcendent, right? God is not totally otherworldly, that he comes and, and uh interacts with us and, and lives among us as man, as human. That's that's important and that's Part of what separates uh as you mentioned already the grand distinction of Christianity no other religion has God becoming man none uh in, in the way that Jesus does because this is only uh an act of God that can make this happen
0: oh man that's so good that's so good glad you put that on the guide by the way t j has basically done all of the groundwork and the legwork for this guide. And that's why the content is heavy.
1: Well, the, I'm, I'm checking out, you can take care of the rest of these. So I, I did my part for a while.
0: Um, <laughs> well, if you've been listening to the reformed informants podcast for any time, you know that we are um, at the particular point in the episode where uh, what we call the informants initiative. And basically uh, we like to put together a major takeaway from this episode. Um, so TJ, do you want to kick us off or do you want me to go ahead and roll?
1: Uh, go ahead. Let me think about it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, for my initiative, I put down uh, a quote from, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, in preparation for this episode, it took me back to one of his books, uh, titled the gospel in Genesis. And basically in, uh, this, this series of, uh, I think there were a series of sermons. He goes back to, uh, the early portions of Genesis, and he gets to the gospel from uh, from those texts. But in, in one of those sermons, uh, Lloyd-Jones uh, says this, Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, took on our human nature, entered into our very situation, and smote our enemy. He conquered the foe and can set us free. He received judgment for us. He bore our sins and their punishment in his own body on a cruel cross. God dealt with him there and pardons us, and our enemy is conquered. So the way to paradise is open, and it is open for you." Now, I wanted to highlight that here because what I want us to understand and take away about this episode on the humanity of Christ, if Jesus Christ is not Human, we do not have a savior. Mm. This is a doctrine that is non negotiable, and we have to cling to this doctrine just as much as we cling to his divinity. We need the humanity of Christ.
1: I love that. Man, that's so well said. Um, You know, sometimes we put our initiative down beforehand, something we really want to emphasize, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's like, okay, where's this conversation going to take us? And And so for for me today, I I just want to see where things went. And here's what I would say is my takeaway. We talked about this last week, that Jesus is fully God, but he's not merely fully God. And I would say for us this week, as we think about this, Jesus is man. And we need to know that, but he's not merely man. Uh, So I'm looking forward to next week when we put those two things together and, and consider what it means to be fully God and fully man. Um, but we have to have both. And my tendency, just speaking for me, uh, maybe speaking broadly, but, but certainly for me, my tendency is to focus on the deity. Uh, I tend to overemphasize the deity at the expense of the humanity. Um, and I forget the importance of what you just said, uh, that Jesus has to be man. So he's, he's, he's fully God, but he's not merely fully God. He's also fully man. But he's not merely fully man. He's both. And um, I don't want to miss or lose the balance between those two. And so this episode has been good for me to remind me of those faithful truths. Anything else you want to add?
0: Nah, man. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode.
1: Yeah. if you're new to the podcast, maybe you, you haven't uh, listened to us before, maybe you're not doing this yet, subscribe to us. Uh, you can do that on iTunes or can subscribe on our YouTube channel. And You can also like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find episodes uh, and links to all of our social media platforms, all of our previous episodes. You can find all of those things as well as our new Reformed Informants shop all on our website, and that's at www.themajestysmen.com slash Reformed Informants.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformance at gmail.com.